0: Welcome to the Painesville Assembly of God podcast. We're always encouraged to know God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email at info at PainesvilleAG.com. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today have everybody back with us this morning as we uh, have the opportunity to worship together and also to be able to continue to offer uh, a service online uh, for those that at this time prefer that method. So welcome all of you online. Welcome all of you that are here with us today. Last week we started a series that we uh, were calling the life-giving spirit and we talked about the importance of the Holy Spirit living in us. And today I want to talk to you about the Holy Spirit who stirs us, the Holy Spirit who stirs us. You say, well, what's that all about? Well, throughout Scripture that's been happening. Back in the Old Testament there was a, a guy by the name of Abraham. Anybody ever heard of Abraham? And Abraham was stirred while he was living in a land of the the Ur of the Chaldees, he was stirred to go to a land that he did not know. So in other words, God said, I want you to get up and move, but I'm not telling you where you're going. Just go. I don't know about you, but when I go somewhere, I like to know where I'm going. I like to know the, def- the destination. I like to plan out and, and kind of, it doesn't go well when I don't know where I'm going and I haven't mapped it out. It, it doesn't go well. Anybody uh, agree? But for Abraham, he took that step. And Abraham was not, uh, he, he was a wealthy man. He, he, it wasn't just, you know, here, grab a small U-Haul, throw everything in it, and here we go, and we're just going to go until God says stop. He had servants. He had a nephew by the name of Lot. He had lots of animals. He, he was a wealthy man. And so this was a big step. And he did something uncharacteristic because God stirred something in his heart. God stirred in his heart. Another guy by the name of David, uh, he was a a young man. He was out in the field as a a shepherd. He was the youngest, and uh, he had been anointed by Samuel to be king. Out of the blue, one day, Samuel comes to his house and goes through all of his brothers, and then his father sends for him, and he comes, not knowing what to expect or what's happening, but he's anointed to be the next king. But then nothing happens for a while until one day, his father kind of called him up and said, Listen, I need you to be Uber Eats for me today. Anybody know Uber Eats? You did that. I need you to be Uber Eats for me today. Here's what I need you to do. Your brothers are in; they're, they're soldiers in the army. I need you to go to them and I need you to bring lunch to them and uh, bring some food to them. And so he brought a basket of food. And while he was there, the armies began to line up. The enemy of the Philistines and the Israelites, and there was this giant that came out by the name of Goliath, who started mocking the army of the living God. Send somebody out to fight me, mocking them and all. All of a sudden, uh, something stirred in David's heart. When everybody else was running in fear, the Holy Spirit stirred something up in David's heart to take down a giant that that nobody else was willing to take down. Friends, I want to encourage you today that the Holy Spirit wants to stir something in your heart. The Holy Spirit stirs us to action. The Holy Spirit is looking for a people that He can stir to action. Now I want to take a look at a, a passage of Scripture that's found in the Old Testament. It's actually found in the, in the book of Ezra. So going all the way back to Ezra, and then we're going to also, Ezra is a history book, but we're also going to look at two contemporaries that were a part of history at that time. They were prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, who were speaking into something that was happening. And so what happens is, is that uh, if you know anything about Israel's history, uh, under David they were serving the Lord. Under Solomon, they were serving the Lord. But then Solomon's son, Rehoboam, under him, the kingdom split into a northern kingdom, the tribes of Israel, and a southern kingdom, the tribes of Judah. And in the southern kingdom of the tribes of Judah, that is where the line of David continued on. So every king was in the line of David. Some of them served the Lord and led people back to serving God and and, and, and Him. Others led the people into idolatry and worshiping other idols. It was there in Judah, in Jerusalem that the temple was built but because of their idolatry God allowed for a foreign nation the nation of Babylon and a, and a foreign pagan king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar anybody heard of Nebuchadnezzar Shadrach Meshach and Abednego Daniel that's all that time period and so Nebuchadnezzar came in and he, he, he destroyed the city of Jerusalem and he destroyed the temple and he took the people captive and they were captive for 70 years They were in captivity for 70 years. Now, what happens is God began to move inside of a a Persian king by the name of Cyrus. Persia then defeated Babylon. And a Persian king by the name of Cyrus, we're going to see God moved in his heart. And he opened it back up for these exiles, these who have been exiled into Babylon and into Persia. He said, okay, you can send a wave back, uh, back to Jerusalem. So many of us, uh, you know, they were in captivity for 70 years before they were allowed to get back to going and building the temple and worshiping together again. We've only had about two months. Can you imagine 70 years? 70 years. So this is kind of a rebuilding. They're going back to do some rebuilding. So let's take a look at what happens here in, uh, in Ezra chapter 1, 1 through 3. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, he was a prophet, you'll see him in the Old Testament as well, might be fulfilled. Look at this. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put in writing, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. And he has charged me to build a house at Jerusalem. Now that's to rebuild the temple at Jerusalem. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem which is in Judah and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. Now this gives me hope because I don't know about you, but we can see that the Lord is even able to stir the heart of a pagan king. I think that's good news, isn't it? that God can stir the heart of a pagan king to do what he wants him To do, God stirred His heart, and so it was a reopening of sorts, and and so 70 years of captivity, and back to the story here of the exiles, we see that they begin to move, and they're excited to return, they're excited to rebuild. Ezra 1.5, Then rose up the heads of the fathers, houses of Judah, and Benjamin, and the priests, and the Levites, and everyone whose spirit, look at this, had stirred to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. Again, everyone's whose spirit is stirred. There's a stirring going on. There's a stirring going on. There's a stirring going on in the heart of a pagan king, and there's a stirring going on in the heart of God's people, and they are passionate about going back and rebuilding the temple. Among these individuals are two key individuals. One of them is Zerubbabel. He is kind of the governor. He would be kind of the civil leader. And then a priest by the name of Jehoshadak, or some translations, Jehoshadak. It's the same person. And so you have these two people and they return back and they're leading the exiles who are coming back in a rebuilding process. And they first start by rebuilding the altar. A couple of months ago, we talked about this. They start by rebuilding the altar, the place of sacrifice and the place of worship. And then they rebuild the foundation of the temple. And then after that, something happens and the work stagnates and stops. And what we find is, is that they move to a place of complacency and apathy. They didn't finish the work that God had called them to do. Something had happened that caused them to stop just with the altar and the foundation. And there was an apathy that happened, and it took another stirring of the Lord through two prophets, the prophet Haggai and the prophet Zechariah, to stir the people out of apathy, out of complacency, to again work at, at focusing on doing the work that God had called them and sent them to do. So let's take a look in Haggai. We're going to look at this first of of two prophets. This is what Haggai says. So the work has stopped. And so Haggai the prophet, God begins to speak through him. And he says this Haggai 1, 2 through 5. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say, The time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. So remember, they had already built the altar and the foundation and stopped. These people have said, It's not time. And the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Consider your ways. What is Haggai doing? He is addressing the unfinished work. In other words, something had happened to the people. They had moved to complacency and apathy. And as they moved to complacency and apathy, what they moved towards is they moved towards selfishness. They moved towards prioritizing their own needs and their own houses and their own families and the things that they wanted to do above the work of of God. And it was going to take a stirring. So Haggai begins, the word of the Lord speaks through Haggai and begins to speak. And he tells them this, consider your ways. And today, whether you're here in service or whether you're watching online, that is something that I would ask you to do today as we go through this message, consider your your ways. Consider your ways. As we look, what happened to the excitement? What happened to the passion? What made the work stop? And as we proceed through this, what we're going to see is there were several enemies to Zerubbabel, Jehozadak, and there were several enemies to the people who had come back to rebuild that caused them to move into a place of apathy and complacency. The one is this. The first is this. The enemy that leads to, to apathy is this. Insignificance insignificance this is where you start to say does what I do matter does what I do matter and that might be questions like what I do doesn't matter or or what I do doesn't make a difference anyway anybody ever felt like that before That what you're doing, the things that you're trying to do, you just feel like you're stirring your wheels, you're not getting anywhere. What does it matter anyway? I feel so insignificant. In the grand scheme of things, there are so many people that are much more talented. There are so many works that are much more important. The things that I do, they just aren't making a difference. So you know what? I'm just not going to do that anymore. And that's what we see here in, in Ezra chapter 3, 12 and 13. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of the father's houses, the old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house had been laid. Though many shouted aloud for joy, so there were many that were joyful, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. So what among the remnant, here's what we have. We have some folks that are excited. They're excited about what has already been done, that the altar has been rebuilt, that the foundation has been rebuilt. They're excited. But there's another host of other people that say, you know what, what we have already started, the foundation, the altar... it is insignificant, it is small. And the grand scheme of things, and compared to what the old house looked like, what it looked like under Solomon, before the devastation and all the gold and, the, and everything had been taken out and stripped away, this doesn't compare at all. This is insignificant, the work is not as great. And so because of the feelings of insignificance, they began to say, you know what, it's not worth doing. We've got a battle against insignificance. In fact, the life-giving spirit helps us overcome insignificance. Another prophet of that time, you had Haggai, but you also have a prophet, Zechariah, begins to speak into this, and God begins to give him a word for the people to shake them out of insignificance. And this is what it says, Zechariah 4.10. Who dares despise the day of small beginnings, since the seven eyes of the Lord that reigns throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone and the hand of Zerubbabel? Do you see it here? Who dares to despise the day of what? Small beginnings. You think it's insignificant, but in God's eyes, I'm telling you this is not insignificant. What you are doing matters. What you're doing matters. And beyond that, chosen capstone, the capstone was the finishing stone. You will see it finished. You think it's insignificant, but one day you will rejoice when that capstone, that finishing stone has been set in place. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. I would say to some of us today that God has called you to do something, but you have found it being insignificant. What does it matter anyway? In the grand scheme of things, why should I do what God is calling me to do? Why should I even do that? Who am I that I can do that? I want to tell you, don't despise small beginnings. Don't despise feeling weak and insignificant because it's the weak things of the world that God uses to confound the wise. The small things God uses, five loaves and two fish, he can feed a multitude of 5,000. And God can use you. Don't feel insignificant. Secondly is discouragement. Discouragement. Discouragement leads to apathy The amount of work they had to do was overwhelming They had had enough to do with just Rebuilding the altar and the foundation And that took a long time All of the rubble that had to be cleared Everything that had to be moved It was a mountain before them And and, and they didn't have the kind of people That they had had back in Solomon's day To be able to rebuild And as they began to look at the work They began to compare it with what was And they began to see the mound of work in front of them And they began to get discouraged In Solomon's day, 150,000 people helped build the first temple. There was all the resources that David had piled up, but now they were limited in resources and they were limited as only about 50,000 had returned with that first remnant and the work was overwhelming. How many of you know that sometimes when the work is overwhelming, you can get discouraged and you can move into complacency and apathy and think, well, I just can't do this. I can't do this. And that's what happened. Discouragement began to settle in. So here's what Zechariah, the Lord, speaks through him. Zechariah 4, 7 to 9. What are you, mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone, again, the finishing stone, to shouts of God bless it, God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, the hands of Zerubbabel who have laid the foundation of this temple, his hands will also complete it. Doesn't that sound like something in the New Testament? The Lord who began a good work in you will be faithful to what? Completed. it. Don't get discouraged. Don't get discouraged. Don't get discouraged with where you're at or where you're not at. Don't get discouraged with how much work you need to do. Don't get discouraged with, oh, I began this process. I got excited. I started out on fire for the Lord. But, oh, this is harder than I thought it was going to be. Oh, my goodness. there are all these attacks that are coming. The mountain is just huge. Listen to the word of the Lord today. The Lord spoke to Zerubbabel. What are you, mighty mountain? you'll become level ground. Why? Because you'll know the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. God says, I've sent the work. I I, I will make it plain. I will take the mountain and I will make it plain. Zerubbabel was ready to give up. He was discouraged. You know, another guy, David, was ready to give up one time in his life. He He had been chased by Saul He had had tried to to prove that he was loyal to Saul on two occasions. He had the opportunity to kill Saul and take the throne, but he didn't do it. And yet he still was never moved into the place that that God had anointed him to be king. And he thought, you know, I don't know if this is ever going to happen. So what's he do? He retreats to the enemy, to the Philistines, and he tries to follow them. And then he's rejected by them. And as he and his men return, they return back to a place called Ziklag, where they had camped and where they had left their family to camp out. And you know what happened? The enemies came in, and the enemies had destroyed and burned Ziklag with fire, had taken their families, their wives, their children, and all that they had with them. And as they returned, even David's own men spoke of stoning him and killing him because they were so discouraged. Look at 1 Samuel 30 and verse 6, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit for his sons, because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Where do we find strength when we're discouraged? In the Lord, our God. We need God to begin to stir us out of discouragement, out of apathy, out of complacency to once again do the work that he's called us to do. When we get discouraged, we've got to battle against apathy by allowing the spirit of God to strengthen us and to stir us by allowing us to, to finish the work that God has called us to do. Thirdly, enemy is fear. Anybody ever dealt with Fear. It's a lot of fear. That's a huge problem. Not only the enemies of of discouragement and comparison, but there were enemies on the outside that did not want the work to continue. Going back to the history of this, in Ezra chapter four, we see what happened in verses four to six. Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid, there's fear, to build, bribe counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. All the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Darius was the one when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, by the way, if you're tracking with history. Uh, and, and, and the reign of Asherah And beginning of his reign They wrote an accusation Against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem So in other words They were accusing them of things So they had enemies without Who did not want to see the work of God continue How many know there are enemies within Our own insecurities Our, our own insignificance our own discouragement that we battle with. But how many know that there are also enemies on the outside, enemies that don't want to see the work of God continue. And so there's a frustrating of the plans that God wants to do. And so you will receive attacks, false accusations. There are things that come, people that try to discredit your reputation and your name. That's what was going on here. And so for a period of time, they didn't build because they were afraid to build because there were people that were trying to frustrate the plans that God had set forth. Friends, when you face opposition, it's hard for you to muster up passion. It's easy for the passion to leak out. It's easy for, for that excitement for the work of God to leak out when you are experiencing fear and attacks from the enemy. In the New Testament, there was a young apprentice of Paul by the name of Timothy. And, and Paul had left him to pastor a very difficult church, a church in Ephesus where there were uh, people who had rose up and, and who were trying to preach false doctrine and trying to hold the things that was not necessarily to the gospel. On top of it all, Timothy was young. And so Paul writes to Timothy, even at one point, and says to him, Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Timothy was struggling with intimidation. He was struggling with fear. And look what Paul told him. Look what look at the, the, what, what Paul told him here. First Timothy 1, 7 and 8. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. You know what the gift of God is? The Holy Spirit. Fan into flame, stir up the gift of the Holy Spirit. Stir up the gift of the Holy Spirit. Why? What's the next verse? What's the next verse? For God has not given us or gave us not a spirit, or gave us a spirit not of fear, I'm sorry, I memorized it a different way, but of power and of love and of self-control. God doesn't give us a spirit of fear. How do we overcome fear? What's he tell him? Stir up the gift of God, stir up the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit stir you up and stir up your courage. That's what happened to Peter. Before the Holy Spirit, Peter was afraid to stand up. But after the Holy Spirit, he stood up on the day of Pentecost and he began to preach and thousands got saved. There was a new boldness and a new courage. In Acts chapter 4, it's the same thing. After they had been told not to preach in the name of Jesus, they came back, they had a prayer meeting, and there was a stirring that went on in their spirit that literally began to shake the ground. Friends, we need the Spirit of God to stir in us and to awake a people that are afraid. A people that are afraid. These prophets were not writing to the world. I recognize that our world needs an awakening. These prophets were writing to the church. Look at what happens. How do we overcome? How do we overcome the fear that leads to apathy? Fan into flame the gift of God that is within you. Don't let the fire go out, stir it up. Stir up the Holy Spirit. But I want to close by going back to Zechariah, and I want to go back to the beginning because there's a picture that we get. Zechariah 4.1, then the angel who had been talking with me returned and woke me as though I had been asleep. Notice that the prophet was awakened. This was a picture of what God wanted to do with his people. Again, I recognize, I believe that we need an awakening in America. Anybody agree with me? We need an awakening, a spiritual awakening in America. But I'm going to be honest with you, we need a spiritual awakening in the church. We need a spiritual awakening in the church. Consider your ways. We need a spiritual awakening in the church back to the priorities that God has called us to. We have moved out and we have, we have, we have settled for priorities that are not God's priorities. What are those priorities? Well, here, look at this. Look at this. Look at this awakening that happens. Here's, the, here's a, a, where, where the prophecy is going with this because God's desiring to begin an awakening with a remnant of people who are done settling for the way that things were or the way that things are. A wise old evangelist was once asked, why don't we see revival happening in the church in the United States? The old preacher scratched his chin for a moment, and then he said this, the reason we're not living in revival today is because we're content to live without it. Say, no, we're not. I want revival. I want revival. Then how come when we call a prayer meeting, 10 people show up? I call a potluck and 50 people show up, 100 people show up. We like to eat physical food, but when it comes to spiritual food, we don't show up. We've got better things to do. Oh, but we want an awakening in America. Consider your ways. Consider your ways. Consider your ways. I'm so excited. Reopen the church. We want to get back to church. Hallelujah. Before all of this, there were times where we could make every excuse we wanted not to come to church. Consider your ways. Oh, I'm getting stirred up, y'all are here now. I'm not just preaching to a camera. You start talking back to me here, all right. Look at this, there's a, there's a vision, there's a picture. It's, this is a wonderful picture. Oftentimes when the prophecies come, they're coming a picture, look at this picture. He asked me, what do you see? And I answered, I see a gold lampstand with a bowl on top and seven lamps on it with seven channels to the lamps and also there are two olive trees by it, one on the right and one on the left. Now this lampstand was similar as the rebuilding the temple was similar to the lampstand that was in the temple before. But this is a little bit different because in this one, there is a there's a bowl on top, and there's also seven pipes that come, and there's two olive trees that are continuing to feed the oil to keep the lamp burning. Now that's different because in the old temple, the priests literally, they had to do the effort. They had to do the work. They had to put the oil in. But in this prophecy, it is not the the work of the priests, rather it is the olive trees that are feeding uh, and and that that are supplying the oil so that the fuel of the lamp never goes out. Now how many know what is oil a picture of in the Bible? The Holy Spirit. It's a picture of the Holy Spirit. And friends, what we're seeing here, when the prophet asks, well, what does this mean? The the civic leader, Zerubbabel, and the priest, Jehozadak, these are the ones that are symbolized by the oil, but they were a symbol of the New Testament of the priest and the king, Jesus Christ. His kingly, his kingship, and his messiahship, his priestlyship in one. And what does Jesus give us? John the Baptist said, I baptize with water, but there's one who's coming after me who will baptize you with what? The Holy Spirit and with fire. Jesus Christ is that picture of the one who gives us the Holy Spirit that supplies the oil so that we who are a lamp, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill should, that should not be hidden. Jesus said, you are to be the light of the world. We are to be the lamp. We are to be the influence. We are to be the ones to bring light and revelation. That is the work that God has called us to do. And we, can't, we need to do that under the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you what I'm, let me, let me show you what I'm talking about. Because because right after this picture, this is is the context of this scripture we love so much. Zechariah 4, 6. You're going to get it right away because it's one of those popular ones we all like to go amen to. But this is the context. It's the context of the oil that is constantly supplied to the lampstand. And so he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but what? By my spirit, says the Lord. Not by might, not by physical strength, not by talent, and not by power, not by willpower, or as G. Campbell Morgan paraphrased it in his commentary, not by resources and not by resoluteness. But what? By my spirit. The work as a church that we are called to do, the work as believers that we are called to do, the light that we are to share has to be fueled and stirred by the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. It is not enough just to have talent. It is not enough just to have a mindset that says, I want to do this in willpower. We have got to be fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is what is going to awaken us out of complacency and out of apathy. When we begin to say, I need the Holy Spirit. I need to rely on the Holy Spirit. I need the stirring of the Holy Spirit in my life. Now, a story is told of an old wisdom. And uh, he came into town for supplies and needed several items. And he was one who, who uh, was looking for a new axe. And as he came up on the counter, of the general store was advertised about a new chainsaw that was guaranteed to cut down twice as many trees as his axe. And so he picked it up. And he went out in the woods and after a, a week or so he returned back to the general store and he was frustrated and he was angry and he said, "Listen, this thing doesn't work. You told me I would be able to cut down twice as many trees with my axe. I could fall 10 trees at a time with my axe. But with this chainsaw thing here, I can only fell one or two trees each day. I don't understand." And so the store owner said, Well, I don't understand. So he looked at it, he checked the chain, he he checked to make sure there was gas, he checked the oil, he checked everything. He said, Well, everything's there. And and so he pulled it and it roared to life. And the the woodsman stepped back and goes, What's that sound? Friends, that's what it's like when you and I try to do the work of God without the Spirit of God. We are frustrated, we are discouraged, we feel insignificant. We're afraid. And as a result, we step back and we move to apathy. Friends, we need the Spirit of God to stir us. We need the Holy Spirit to work and to break the enemies of insignificance and to break the enemy of discouragement and to break the enemy of fear so that we can rise up under the power of the Holy Spirit and be the church that God is calling us to be. We need a stirring in our spirit. To take that lampstand analogy, light doesn't come from the wick. How many know that? Light doesn't come from the wick. Yes, the wick is burning, but light doesn't come from the wick. Light comes because of the oil that is saturating the wick. As long as the wick is saturated, it will burn brightly. But the moment that there is no oil in the wick, it begins to smolder, and it begins to to char and go out. Friends, is there oil? Is there oil supplying your light. Have you allowed the Holy Spirit and the oil of the Holy Spirit to burn, to stir in you so that you burn brightly for Jesus Christ? Following Haggai's prophetic word, look what happens. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shelatiel, the governor of Judah, the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. Do you see what happened? The word of the Lord came, and as they heard the word of the Lord, the Spirit of God began to stir their spirits to action. Friends, my prayer for you today is that the Holy Spirit would begin to stir in you, that you would allow the Holy Spirit to stir in you and to stir you up to the work that He is calling you to do so that you can burn brightly for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Friends, I want us to pray. Let's bow our heads and I want us to pray. If you're watching online, I want you to pray. If you're here and you need to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I wanna invite you to pray with me to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you're here today or you're watching online and you say, you know what? I need the Holy Spirit to begin to stir in me. I, I have felt insignificant. I, I've struggled with those feelings. i struggle with discouragement. I've struggled with fear. Come on, we need the Holy Spirit to stir in us to break those things so that we can burn brightly for the Lord. Come on, pray with me right now. Oh, Holy Spirit, we just pray that you will stir in us a new work. Stir in us, oh God, to get back to what you were calling us to do. Awaken us, God, out of our slumber. Stir in us, God, and break the fear of insignificance. Break fear in our lives. Break discouragement in our lives. Break apathy. Wake us up, God, from our complacency. Stir in us, O God, your spirit to do the work that you have called us to do. We need your spirit. We need you, Holy Spirit. We need you, Holy Spirit. Stir in us today. And Lord, if we don't know you, we invite you right now. Come into our lives. Come into our lives. Forgive us of our sin today. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you need to pray that, just pray that right now. Ask Jesus into your life. Ask him to forgive you and to cleanse you. We thank you, Jesus, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by God's word. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, please visit PainesvilleAG.com.